Welcome to The Five Things, This Week in Social. Each week, we search high and low in the world of social media to find the five very best stories to share with you so you are fully in the know when you're having that little chit-chat at the beginning of a meeting. Today, we have Tommy Boyce and Amanda Davis. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Joey. How are we? I'm doing great. Are you watching anything on TV these days? I am, and I am over being embarrassed about this. I am fully caught up to speed with the current season of Love Island. Excellent. I'm watching The Bachelorette, so you have nothing to be embarrassed about. And hello, Tommy. Tommy's here as well. Hey, Joey. What's on your playlist these days? Ooh, what's on my playlist? A good keeping of Remy Wolf, her new deluxe album, Juno. Also the band Half Noise, which is Zach Farrow from Paramore, drummer Paramore's little side project. Their song, French Class, mwah, fire. Very good, very good. I'm kind of going through a bit of a classic rock phase these days. Don't know why. That just feels good as I'm driving down the road here. All right, I'm Joey Scarillo, and here are the five things. First up, Tommy kicks us off with Instagram, testing a new creator marketplace. Then Amanda stays on Instagram as they allow users to place orders and track packages in their DMs. Next, Tommy hops over to Snapchat, who are bringing chat and video calls to desktops. Then Facebook shifts resources to focus on the creator economy, and Amanda breaks that down. And finally, Tommy tells us about a partnership between Shopify and YouTube. No Twitter this week, friends. All right, Tommy, let's get into it. Start us off with Instagram. Yeah, so Instagram has launched a test for its creator marketplace, much like Facebook's brand collabs manager platform and TikTok's marketplace for creators on the app. Instagram's creator marketplace will enable advertisers to search for potential creators to partner with on campaigns. As explained by Insta, Instagram's creator marketplace is a new destination that allows brands to find creators they may want to connect with. They can use a desktop experience within Meta Business Suite to filter creators by gender, age, number of followers, and interests. They'll also be able to filter for creators based on the demographics of their self-engaged audience using filters including country and city, interests again, also age, and see creators who've expressed interest in working with them, have tagged them or follow them, and see similar creators to those they've already found through the filters, and add creators to save lists. So yeah, it's a pretty comprehensive tool for finding potential creative partners for campaigns, which could be pretty valuable, you know, especially given the increase in focus the platform is placing on reels, which require real knowledge of trends and use behaviors in order to make your content stand out and be noticed, which these creators happen to know how to do. And through the new creator marketplace, brands will be able to manage the full campaign process in partnership with their chosen creators, including details like desired deliverables, payment, other info, things like that. And that can make it much easier to manage your Instagram influencer campaigns. As I said earlier, with the new creative trend and usage behaviors on Instagram that come from the focus on video content, the marketplace will be a really helpful way to maximize reach and performance in the app for any campaign you want to have going forward. So when the feature is fully available, it's just in testing currently. I definitely recommend that brands who want to engage in the platform and make the most of Instagram and their video capabilities, check it out. So Amanda, other platforms have creator marketplaces similar to this. What makes Instagram's different? I think what's really valuable is that a creator on Instagram interacting with a brand is really natural and organic. So for brands to be able to find creators that already are a fan of their brand, already follow the brand, maybe already use the brand, it will probably create a lot more of a natural fit 
versus, you know, seeking out people who you think might be a good fit for your brand, not sure if they, you know, use your product or go to your location. And being able to build off of that behavior that already exists on a platform will help brands find more authentic creators to work with. Yeah, that's great. Tommy, anything else you want to say on this one? Yeah, I think as we see Instagram move even more into video, again, they're trying to compete with and take from TikTok. The influencers you partner with are more and more important because it's so hard to get noticed nowadays with the algorithm. I mean, I feel like my Instagram page is so dictated by what it wants to show me. So having influencers that you're working with who know how to take advantage of it and be seen on your page, which is not easy nowadays, is an incredibly valuable skill. And so I think working with them through this marketplace and finding ones that align with your brand and your creative vision for this campaign is going to be a really great way to take advantage of this new kind of flux that the platform finds itself in. Yeah, sounds like it could be a really good deal. All right, let's stick with Instagram, Amanda, and talk to us about ordering and tracking packages right there in the DMs. All right, Instagram's been busy. They've just added some new capabilities with in their direct messaging functionality. So basically, if you're shopping from a brand that's already set up as a business account, that brand can now send invoices and the user can pay for products directly in the messages and have it linked to a purchase order. So if you really think about how many times people use DMs to ask a brand about a fit or about a restock of a specific item, it's kind of becoming this very natural customer service channel. So what Instagram's done is just basically build in this functionality to make that consumer journey a little bit shorter, get closer to the purchase moment and give people more options for how they want to check out. What's kind of interesting about this is there's actually two options for what the user can do and what the brand can do to offer a payment option. They can either go into their professional dashboard, select payments in chat and kind of execute it that way. Or there's essentially a money send option that's driven by MetaPay that's a little bit more of a direct payment option that may not necessarily be linked to an invoice or to an item. So obviously this comes after Instagram announced that they're going to allow creators to pay while their posts and reels if they would like to. They've invested in building the shop tab out and they've also added and are building on the NFT functionalities. It really seems like they're evolving their commerce and beyond just kind of product sales and item sales, they're really taking a look at a larger perspective of of what on-platform economy can look like and, and how people can drive that. Tommy, are you an avid Instagram shopper? I wouldn't say avid. I dabble. Yeah, I know Amanda's talked about her experience with the shopping. Tommy, do you think this will make the process easier? I do. There's a certain use case, especially for me, where I follow a lot of vintage shoppers on Instagram, vintage clothing accounts, and they usually run out of their own Shopify or website. And the ability now to just DM them, being like, you see the actual product, you send it to them as a message, you're like, how much? They send you the price, you order it, game over. That is incredibly useful, especially for small businesses who maybe don't have the capabilities or the know-how even of setting up a kind of larger shopping space on the web. So I think it's going to be very helpful for retailers and creators on the platform looking to sell their stuff in a way that's as easy as possible, especially when you're already DMing, asking for sizes, specificities, things like that. Yeah, it almost brings like a bit of a personal shopping assistant right to your phone. Amanda, what do you think is going to be the first thing you buy with this new feature? I think that this could be really helpful, especially when you think of things like beauty or makeup that do need a personalized response and understand, you know, what shade am I? I have this type of hair or this type of skin. Like what would be the correct product for me? So the items that really stem directly from that customer service benefit, which we've seen the growth of with D2C and how that might come to life slightly differently than what you would buy, you know, in an aisle of a store or on something like Amazon. So I think as you think about to Tommy's point, like these smaller businesses that really thrive on personal connection and personalized connection, it'll, it'll value that a lot and prove more sales there. Yeah, I think this is great. This sounds like a great move for Instagram. All right. Speaking of great moves, 
moves. Snapchat is moving over to desktops. Tommy, talk to us about it. Yeah, Snap is coming to a computer near you. The platform announced that Snapchat features like snapping, chatting, and video calling are coming to desktop through a new web app, making the first time the company has made its services available beyond smartphones. With Snapchat for web, you can log in on your Snapchat account and send private messages or call friends on a desktop computer. Initially, the web platform will be available exclusively to Snapchat Plus subscribers, and it's the first major launch feature since Snap announced its paid tier since back in June. Subscribers in the US, UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand will get access first. And I think this is a really exciting development for Snap. It's funny that most of the updates we give about it are on its AR capabilities or features like that. I still think about the partnership in ticketing that it's announced and event planning. Um, it's a really interesting niche that's carved out for itself in the social ecosystem. But the main use case for it is, again, private messages and calling. And the ability to carry out these conversations on a desktop opens up a whole new world for the app in terms of how people can communicate. It's funny that Snap now is actually in competition with Discord and WhatsApp, which is a new area for it when it comes to desktop messaging. But of course, it also has capabilities in the mobile app that the other two do not. I looked up the numbers and apparently more than 100 million people call each other on Snapchat every month spending an average of more than 30 minutes a day chatting. So the use case there is certainly able to be expanded. And it's also important to note that rolling out the web expansion to subscribers signals that the company is really taking its page here seriously as a way to actually monetize its creator base, which is certainly an issue that a lot of platforms are facing nowadays. So this is very fun news. I'm interested to see if Snap brings any of its other AR features to web cameras on desktops and what features will be added in the future. Yeah, it's almost like most companies have been moving more and more towards mobile and social and Snapchat is, feels like a step backwards, back towards the desktop. It kind of feels vintage. Amanda, what do you think is their strategy here? What are they trying to accomplish on the desktop? Perhaps it's because I spend so much time in the metaverse and in conversations around Web3. But the first thing I think of, to your point, Tommy, is if we create these video calls that feel more like a Zoom call or a Teams call, add in AR capabilities, is there a future in which it can actually feel like we're in the same room in some way that we become a little bit more interactive with our video calls, that we leverage some of this kind of advanced technology to add to what we've traditionally known, especially through the pandemic, as a pretty flat video call experience in workspaces or with friends. So that's the first thing I think of is how they're going to use their their AR innovation to add to that. And then secondly, those stats that Tommy mentioned around how much people actually use this already to call and message with privately with their friends, just being able to offer that to as many people as possible in whatever settings. You think of things like FaceTime, which you can obviously get to your desktop if you want to. So just bringing that accessibility to as many people as they can. Well, who knows? Maybe someday Snap will be coming for our Teams calls or our mobile podcast recordings. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on it for sure. All right, let's go back and talk about Facebook now. Amanda, tell us about how they are shifting their resources from news to focus on a creator. Recently, an executive of Facebook has shared a memo with employees that outlines a little bit of a shift in where they're focusing for the future. Campbell Brown outlined that their engineering and product teams at Facebook specifically would start to be assigned to spend less time on news and bulletin tabs, which we'll talk about in a second, and more on, quote, heightening their focus on building a more robust creator economy. So just a reminder at where Facebook's been on these two pieces, they launched News in 2019, which was a tab that you could get to from your homepage. And they actually paid news publications like the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to aggregate their editorial content on 
the platform. Of course, this included options for these outlets to have algorithmic prioritization and essentially create a business model that was allegedly worth millions of dollars for how all this content came into the Facebook app. Secondly, and more recently, Bulletin is the Facebook offering that launched essentially a newsletter offering similar to a Substack or a MailChimp. And last year, Facebook mentioned in a blog post that half of the creators that use Bulletin have over a thousand free email subscribers and many having five to 10,000 subscribers for their content. So when this was announced, it actually gathered some scrutiny since these are kind of small numbers considering Facebook's billion plus audience. So a lot of people questioned if this was a helpful resource or if it was even being used at all. All in all, this is not so unexpected for two reasons. As Tommy mentioned, Facebook has prioritized visual content that mimics its Instagram Reels option or TikTok in users' feeds. There's also been a lot of scrutiny over the past, I'd say five years, around how news actually shows up on the platform. They don't seem to have solved a lot of the issues and you know, user behavior is definitely reflecting that. Even the phrase fake news was basically derived from Facebook's presence in editorial content. And then the last thing to note is they're focusing on content that is more engaging to their audience while also taking away the initial investment that the platform needs to make to bring this content to its users. So this, you know, mimics more of a free market like economy where Facebook can actually benefit from the microtransactions from time spent on the platform without needing to necessarily create that content themselves or pay publications, editorials and creators outright to do so. So it's a pretty sustainable revenue generation bet that I think that will will make sense from a business perspective. Uh, Tommy, what do we think this is going to look like on Facebook itself, like on the site, on the mobile app? What will this mimic? What will this look like? I mean, I think it's going to look like TikTok. I feel like that's the way that Meta is trying to go, especially as you think of Instagram, the way that new updates are having it be full screen viewing. I can imagine Facebook turning more toward content creators to make it sort of an entertainment like feed with scarce updates from, you know, your Nana or your neighbor from back where you used to live, placed between videos of lifestyle vlogs or food videos or the bizarre things you see on Facebook or puppy videos. Given the scrutiny that Facebook, Amanda mentioned earlier, faced with its editorial content and its news and the misinformation that spreads on the platform. I think betting on creators is a much safer idea and a much more productive way of getting the kind of content and engagement that they want, as opposed to the potential downsides that their news spreading has had. So I can easily see becoming a more entertainment style app. Do you think this is in an effort to bring in a younger audience, Amanda? I think it's easy to assume that younger audiences consume more of this kind of content and also make more of this content. But I really think it's a behavior that is resonating against a lot of age demographics, watching, you know, engaging video content, sound on, understanding what these creators are thinking from, you know, across different topics and different perspectives. So I think it is highly focused on bringing more Gen Z and especially millennials into the platform. But I think that this behavior kind of spans across across all ages. So let me ask you this, right? So Tommy, do we think with midterms coming up later on this year and eventually the 2024 election, do you think that this will actually have any impact or change on the conversation around big political issues with less news in the Facebook feed, especially coming from some of the older generations, right? The boomers and Gen Xers and millennials, like, will this change any of the public conversation around the information that is seen on Facebook? That's a great question. In this case, it's the people you follow. So I think social media nowadays, everything is so polarized and everyone's in their own little subculture, their own little group. And so I imagine at this point, the people you follow are expressing, it's a feedback loop. It's expressing views that you have and that they 
have as well. And it's sort of adopting similar value systems and ways of viewing the world. And so I think if Facebook puts more emphasis on this, these creators, the ones you already follow, if you already agree with them, there's gonna you're going to see more of them. It's going to be more sucked into this world. So for both sides, even, um, this is not like a, a left or right issue. This is the way that we interact with creators and the algorithms kind of keep us in the system more and more until you're more, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, this isn't a, a left or right issue. This is the way that algorithms put you into spaces online and then you become part of it. You're the foundation of this, this culture. And so I think it's going to depend really on the kind of online niche that people carve out for themselves. And I think with the lack of dedication put towards news, it's going to be up to these creators to give accurate information and, you know, give a full picture to their audience base, which I don't know if they're going to do. Maybe not. A, a girl can dream. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Interesting indeed. It's interesting to see how like what feels like a small change now in July of 2022 could potentially have bigger impacts uh, down the road on culture. All right, Tommy, take us home. Let's talk about Shopify and their partnership with YouTube. So you YouTube has announced its partnership with the e-commerce platform Shopify for content creators to sell their merchandise through the video platform. The goal being to make buying and selling products an easier and more communal experience for a market of over 2 billion monthly logged in YouTube users. Through YouTube, merchants can now host live streams where they can tag and pin product recommendations, upload on-demand videos related to merchandise, and add a store lab to their YouTube page for viewers to refer to at any time. These developments are meant to enhance consumers' shopping experiences, and the partnership between Shopify and YouTube will increase the ease and speed at which people are able to make purchases. This is a really fun partnership. I want to highlight something that Shopify's VP said, quote, that the problem is that so much of what happens on the internet is buying, not shopping. Shopping is a social experience. In many ways, Shopify is like a commerce infrastructure to connect. And our job is to keep the internet interesting and weird and cool. And I'm all for keeping the internet weird and cool. This sounds great to me. I think that this is a really interesting point. The brands that people tend to gravitate toward are those to which they feel a connection. And the fact that users are already engaged with and trusting of YouTubers they watch, the integration of Shopify onto the platform will give users the ability to purchase products from a trusted and verifiable source. I think this partnership will lead to an increase, certainly, in shopping on the platform. It is frighteningly easy to buy something on Shopify, especially I've been shopping again with vintage Instagram accounts that use Shopify. It's lickety-split in my inbox. So if brands are looking to get into the live shopping game, look no further than YouTube at this point. I'm sure the experience will be very smooth for all involved parties. So this is a really great move for the video platform. Is there anything in there that they talked about, Tommy, for creators who maybe review products, right? Like if I do an unboxing video and I'm not associated with Apple, but I wanted to sell an Apple product through my video, is there a way for that to happen too and maybe get a little bit of revenue for the creator? Or is it solely through a brand experience? I believe it's solely through a brand experience. I think I cannot imagine someone would be able to sell an Apple product through an unboxing video. But I think through the power of obviously influencer partnerships and creators who are retailers on the platform who make videos about it, who sell their content through YouTube shopping. I think that this will be very helpful, but I think it's solely through brand content. Amanda, does this sound exciting to you? Do you think you would click through while watching a YouTube video? Yeah. And I think to your point, Joey, you think about the influencer content and especially the rise of product sales through TikTok and things like that. So when you start to add in the conversation that happens in the comments, people replying to videos, you really do create what feels like a communal experience. And I think it's smart for them to to create that on behalf of brands and offer that to viewers. Yeah, this all sounds really exciting. Can't wait to see how this experience plays out on YouTube. 
All right, friends. Well, that does it for the week. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us, share us, and write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints. Or if you have a thing you want us to discuss, email us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Tommy and Amanda for joining us. And thanks to Danielle Hunt, Amanda Fuentes, and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. Thank you, listener. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.